All right. Good evening, or whenever you're watching this, I'm not sure when, when that might be, but I'm glad to be a part of this Word Wednesday. And uh, I want to share just very briefly about a story that most of us are very familiar with. It's called the story of the Good Samaritan. In fact, I would probably guess that uh, the Good Samaritan is a story you're very, very familiar with. If you uh, grew up in church somewhere, um, even as a child and didn't uh, hear it on a regular basis, it is one that we hear even um, in, in our modern culture about uh, the Good Samaritan. And it's, it's, it is a familiar story. Um, and it's one of those stories, because it's so familiar, uh, we just sort of stop listening to what, it, what it's about. But here's, here's how it goes. Um, a man comes to Jesus, and, uh, and it says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, he says, what must I do to, in to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Hmm. It seems very easy, right? It's pretty straightforward. But then the man asks Jesus again, um, who is my neighbor? Hmm. All right. Um, brings back images of Mr. Rogers, right? Uh, and in reply, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan that goes like this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense you may have, any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the, in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. <laughs> so Jesus told him twice, do this. Love God with all your person, your whole person, and your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said, go and do it, and you'll live. Who's my neighbor? Well, he tells a story, and then Jesus says, go and do it. Hmm. Seems as if it's something that we all should get. But it's a story that we've heard so many times that maybe we've stopped paying attention. But here's the deal, all right? Um, the story is something that seems a little bit foreign to us, right? I mean, it's some random guy on some dusty road heading to Jericho or heading towards Jerusalem. He gets beat up. He gets all of his stuff taken, his clothes. He's stripped naked and just lying there, a bloody mess in the road. Along comes a priest 
who obviously notices him because it says that he goes out of his way to avoid the man. And then comes a Levite, and he too must have noticed the man because it says that he ignores him and avoids him as well. And then a Samaritan. A Samaritan man is someone that in the hearing of a Jew would have been very distasteful person that the Jews actually found to be worthy of their hate, and the Samaritans in return hated the Jews. There was no love lost between these two people groups, and yet, and yet, it's the Samaritan who takes notice of the man, so much so, in fact, that he does what he can do at the moment. The only medicinal services he can provide is pouring wine, which has some alcohol in it to help cleanse the wound, and then oil to begin the healing process. And then he takes the man to the local motel, and he leaves some change with instructions with the man at the front desk to take care of this man, and any added expense, he says, I'll cover it when I come back through. The good guy is the person everybody hates. The good guy is the person who shouldn't be the good guy in the story. It should have been the priest. It should have been the Levite. They were God's servants at the temple in Jerusalem, and yet they're not the good guys. They're, they're persons who ignored the need. They're the ones who avoided the man who was lying in the, in, in the road, a bloody mess, who was obviously in desperate need. They stopped paying attention. The Samaritan didn't. And that's the story. Someone beaten on the side of the road. The question is, who notices? The person who shouldn't? The person who is hated? The person who is least likely to notice? Let me introduce you to people that have crossed my path. The first of them is a young man by the name of Ron. Uh, he was a man, a young man who uh, was uh, a CIF champion in his weight division in wrestling, which in California is the equivalent of being a state champion. And he was a marvelous wrestler. Um, he was someone that I just enjoyed hanging out with in, uh, in school, in high school. And yet at the same time, um, he was a person who was under enormous pressure from home. He had to succeed, um, and on the wrestling mat, he was pressed to, uh, to succeed, and he was overwhelmed, and his response was to start taking drugs. See, Ron was, was beaten up, and no one noticed. No one noticed. Let me introduce you to, to Linda. Linda was a, a, a very pleasant young lady, but she was someone who had learning disabilities. And as a result, uh, she was someone who was teased unmercifully through school, especially junior high and high school. And she was convinced that she really was just dumb and had no business even thinking about going beyond high school. She was someone who had very little value whatsoever. And 
people just ignored her or they, they mocked her and teased her unmercifully. And so beginning at the age of 11 or 12, Linda started self-harming her by cutting her upper legs, her arms, wearing long sleeve shirts, never wearing shorts. You see, Linda was beat up and nobody noticed. Let me introduce you to Donnie. When you hear about the runt of the litter, what do you think of? You think of the smallest puppy or the smallest kitten. Well, as it turns out, Donnie was the runt of the litter. He was the only boy born to his mother and father. And he was very, very small. And he was also very unsuccessful, unaccomplished. Nothing about him stood out. He drove an old wreck of a car, couldn't hold a job. And he had two older sisters who were stunningly beautiful and very successful. I suppose you might uh, liken them to people like a Paris Hilton or the Cardassian sisters, driving fancy sports cars, lots of wealth, lots of success in their chosen fields. One was a lawyer, one was a model. <laughs> As a result, and maybe for a very long time, Donnie's parents really didn't want anything to do with him. When he graduated from high school, they booted him out of the house. That was it. Occasionally he might be able to go home maybe for a Thanksgiving meal, but generally, they didn't want him around because he was a runt who was unsuccessful. He didn't even, he didn't even gain enough interest by his parents to help him with his bills when he was down on his luck. They didn't care. So Donnie started living a very uh, difficult life, um, an odd job here or there random sexual encounters, did a lot of drugs. <laughs> he got HIV and found out that he was heading towards death because of it. And so as a result, he thought it would be better if he simply took a handful of pills, which he did. And he died on a dirty mattress all alone in a flop house. That's the last time I saw him. You see, Donnie was all beat up and nobody noticed. There are all sorts of people in our lives, all sorts of people around us, people that, that we grew up with that we know family members, people that we're with right now here at school, all sorts of people around us who are beat up. And maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we feel the same way. We feel a little bit like 
we've been beat up. And no one seems to notice. There are a couple of reasons that, uh, that the priest and the Levite skirted around the man who had been pounded into the ground, left a naked, bloody mess. The first was somewhat legitimate. It was pretty risky for them to stop and to take the time that was necessary to invest in this beaten, broken, naked, bloody mass of humanity. What if the bad guys were still around? What if they were just waiting for someone to stop? It could have happened to them. So far much better to just ignore him and keep moving, which they did. But the other reason, which is really counterintuitive, is that if they were to stop and to help, they would be touching someone that they didn't know. Is he a Jew? Then I can touch him and help him. Is he alive? Then I can help him. If he's dead, I can't even touch him. If he's not a Jew, I shouldn't touch him. All of those categories in the don't stop, don't touch category had to do with making them unclean, which would require them for the very least, at the very least, seven days of purification. It wasn't worth it. So it was a risk of a different kind, but one that was counterintuitive because they were people who served God at the temple. They were ones who were representatives of God, and yet they couldn't represent God when it was needed in the moment to rescue someone who was broken, naked, and bleeding. Hmm. And the one who did was a Samaritan, an alien of, of sorts, someone who in the Jewish mindset you wouldn't want as your neighbor, not someone that you would trust, not someone that you would interact with if you could help it. And yet he's the one who gets involved. He's the one who notices the broken, bleeding, naked man. He's the one, as Jesus said, who took pity, who had compassion. He's the one who, without ever hearing Jesus say the importance of loving your neighbor, actually loved his neighbor. He got it right. And the ones who should have didn't get it right. So what does this have to do with the theme of hope that we're working through? Well, it comes down to this simple truth. Ultimately, we've all been if we're not there right now, we've all been beaten 
we've all been left a bloody mess. Life is like that. We've all been teased unmercifully. We've all, all felt like failures. We have all done things that have been harmful to ourselves. We've all been that man on the side of the road in one form or another. And like I said, we, some of us may be that man right now. Well, the hope is this. God notices. God always has noticed us, each and every one of us. He's noticed us. And he especially notices us when we are beat up. He especially notices us when we need to be rescued. Because you see, God sent Jesus to demonstrate what it means to love God with your whole person and to love your neighbor. That's what Jesus did. And the interesting thing is, he didn't just notice, but he rescued us by taking our place as the one who was beaten, naked, and bloody so that we would know God's compassion, God's pity, and have hope. We need to notice each other. All of the people in our lives, in our acquaintance that are beat up, that need us to love them. And at the same time, we need to understand that the one who loves us best has noticed us and our need to be rescued. And he has. And that's good news. And that's the hope we so urgently need. Amen.